ni una menos, ni una muerte más. Not one woman less, not one more death. This phrase's function is one of the slogans both through social media and political discourse in the movement to fight gender-based violence and to protect the lives of trans and cisgender women across Latin America. From its start in Argentina in 2015, Niuna Menos captures the ongoing struggle for gender equity and to change the gendered structures of power. It is one example of more recent manifestations in the deep and rich history of feminist movements throughout Latin America, movements that have revealed the power of grassroots organizing and collective action for social change. While this history is most notably captured through organized demonstration and protests, one of its most potent manifestations is through literature and writing. Welcome to another episode of Fulbright Forward, a diversity podcast. My name is Jeremy Gavin Sperling, the Fulbright Diversity Inclusion Liaison for the Western Hemisphere programs. Today's episode is the first Fulbright Forward episode from the region where I work and features Dr. Guadalupe Maradei, a professor of literary theory at Universidad de Buenos Aires in Buenos Aires, Argentina, whose work focuses on literary theory and criticism and studies of gender through literature. In addition to earning her doctorate from Universidad de Buenos Aires from the Department of Philosophy and Letters, where she's also a researcher and instructor, Dr. Demanadei has completed postgraduate work at Humboldt University in Berlin, Germany, and was a Fulbright Scholar at New York University, where she completed a project entitled Literary Criticism and Gender Perspective in the Argentinian Culture, Imports, Translations, and Appropriation from Anglo-Saxon Theories. On today's episode, Dr. Demanadei will share more about the recent events and shifts in the feminist movement in Latin America, and discuss the roles that literature and literary criticism have had in amplifying the rights and dignity of gender and sexual minorities. Thank you so much for joining the podcast episode today. It's a real pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for the introduction. So to get things started, uh, what we try to do in this podcast is we just want to hear more about who you are. So if you could just tell us more about your background and in particular, the focus of your recent research and teaching. Yes. In recent years, I have investigated the complex connection between cultural material, social practices, and historical change in the process of formation of literary value. One aspect of this research focused specifically on post-dictatorship Argentine literature histories, which resulted in a doctoral thesis entitled Post-Dictatorship Argentine Literary Histories, Periodization Methods, Interventions Over Canon, and Critique Controversies. There, the changes in the position of women writers in the Argentinian cultural canon were examined. Moreover, it was analyzed in the ways in which contemporary critics studied the formation of aesthetic canons as national cultures cohesion mechanisms and as a way of establishing difference through a hierarchy of merits, sensibilities, and knowledge. My research as a Fulbright scholar in NYU intend to gather, describe, and analyze critical discourses that have been reading since the return of democracy to the present Argentine literature from a gender perspective. From this point, the project delves into the relationship between symbolic productions ways of reading and cultural difference in the process of setting up a history of Argentine criticism. Focus was made on 
the import, translation, and appropriation of theoretical categories, especially from Anglo-Saxon critics such as Susan Sontag, Judith Butler, Donna Haraway, and Nancy Fraser. That sounds like a really cool and just rewarding project. I appreciate you sharing that with us. So in sort of us moving towards the main theme of this podcast episode, which is around feminist movements within Latin America and specifically Argentina, um, I'd love if you could share just a little bit more on some of the developments within Argentina regarding legislation, policy that have really been pushed by the feminist movements themselves, um, and also just sort of like giving us a sense of what the climate looks like right now in Latin America. Well, uh, the new century in Argentina has been prolific in the production of a regulatory framework aimed at expanding the right of women and sexual diversities. Milestones of this change have been the approval of several important laws. The law of comprehensive sexual education in 2006, the law of equal marriage in 2010, the law of gender identity in 2012, and the law on prevention and eradication of gender violence in 2015. This regulatory framework has been accompanied by strong participation of the civil society in the claim and visibility of the demands. One of the most significant moments has been the consolidation at the national level of the Nunamenos movement with the massive demonstration against gender violence on June 1st, 2015. However, in recent years, we have seen a backlash against the series, this series of political achievements in the public agenda that is manifested through the return of hate speech enabled by a new neoconservative outpost in Latin America, for example, in Brazil under the presidency of Jair Bolsonaro, in Bolivia under the presidency of Janine Añez, in Argentina under the presidency of Mauricio Macri, or in Chile under the presidency of Sebastián Piñera. This new scenario makes it essential to find new strategies to promote critical thinking. Thank you for sharing that in both helping us understand how feminist movements within Argentina have worked to shape and push progressive policy in the country, and also for setting the context of this neoconservative shift within Latin America. And, and now I'm curious if you could share with us a bit more about some of the uh, key examples of how feminist movements have taken shape in other parts of Latin America and how they've contributed to the conversation on feminism. Well, it, it was very impressive, the, the movement of las tesis in Chile, do you know? That was a big, huge group of women who sing a song that denounced the, the rape, the rapes, to, to women in Chile and the, the hypocrisy of society about this, this question, this, this aspect of, of, the, of the gender violence. Las tesis, 
las tesis, eh, and, and then they have uh, another versions of this song in other countries. In, in, in Argentina, there, there was um, another version of the song of las tesis. It was very, very important. And of course, in, in, in Mexico, it, it was the, the, the first time uh, when the, the justice began to to think the the concept of a femicide no in ciudad juarez with the with the murders of young young uh, women and the relationship with the with the narcos was the the first time where the the feminist movement and, and the society began to think the femicide as a problem, as a social, political, uh, and cultural problem. Uh, in Argentine, uh, we have anthropologists that named Rita Segato that uh, think uh, a lot of things about femicide and uh, why Ciudad Juarez was the place uh, where femicides take place, you know, and the relationship with with the in women uh, had a presence in in the laboral work. You know? uh, it's very interesting the perspective of Rita Segato about femicide in in Mexico. So in Mexico there is too a, a very strong uh, feminist movement, but. Unfortunately, the gender violence in, in America Latina, in Latin America, isn't eradicated. So in, in all the, the countries, feminist movement has a, a lot of things to do. I, I really appreciate your answer, too, because I think you also share also about how um, we think about how art plays into things, right? You mentioned about music as one example of how it's part of the movement. So I'd like to talk now more about your work. Yes. Um, and so more specifically, what has the role been of Latin American literature and feminism and in amplifying the voices of people in this moment? Okay. Literature is a radar of experience. And many times it anticipates perceptions that people become aware later. For example, a set of texts written in the years around 2000 produced by writers such as Vera Chaconi, Mariela Guidic, and Fernanda Laguna not only put motherhood, marriage, and family in the foreground, but also try to challenge traditional discursive strategies to narrate them. Among these new strategies, the appeal to a discourse of the body becomes significant. Uh, it narrates microtransformations of the concepts of reproduction, work, eroticism, or disease. These texts are prior to the green tide of Nuna Menos and the reverse of the struggles for desired motherhood and, and for the legal abortion right. Somehow, they managed to put into words a collective unrest that was lightened, almost exploding. And can I ask, 
was there a particular text from these groups of texts or authors that have had a very large impact on you and your work? Well, there is a poem of Mariela Goirik, which uh, title is Law of Violence of Gender. It's, it's very impressive. And it, it was it was so very impressive how the social media took this poem as a, a manifest of the, the reclaim, you know? Uh, an Argentine poet, Mariela Gouric, write it uh, in relation to a personal experience and a lot of young girls took it as they own, they own reclaim, they own words. That is very impressive in relation to the, the power of literature, the power of literature. Mariela Gowirik is the name of the poet, and the book of Mariela is untitled um, Un Método del Mundo, and Word Method. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so great to also be able just to have listeners learn more about potentially different authors and readers they may not know about uh, before this podcast and, and, and also for myself too. So thank you for sharing that in literature. So I'd like to also now talk more about uh, the other major piece of your work, which is on literary criticism and how that plays into things. And I think, you know, one thing I'm very interested in as well is I think what's important about this podcast is to expand the number of perspectives we get um, on these different fields, right? So that we are able to see globally how you know, how Latin America, how Argentina is talking about, for example, literary criticism as it relates to feminism. So yeah, if you could share more just about literary criticism, feminism, and your work. Well, it's very interesting. For example, Griselda Polo highlights that the canon of the history of Western art and literature is one of the most virulent and virulent. The canon considered as texts and objects of literature and art that academic and cultural institutions establish as the most representative and significant is also a proposition about what should be studied as a model by the people who decide to become professional artists. Recently, different interventions have denounced the Western canon modes of selection and how these modes, which are ideological and political, try to go unnoticed through the presumably innocuous idea of tradition. What is of obscure, there is the active process of exclusion operated by current make, makers of tradition. Furthermore, Canonical literary criticism for many, for many years has used the notion of literary quality. Mm? The criterion of literary quality, when considered from the, and, the androcentric perspective that still predominates in literary studies, through the literary work of women into the space of production without legitimation, below the required artistic level. In this mechanism operates the legitimation of a selective tradition, 
that had exaggerated the figure of a few women writers as literary examples of their times, but at the same time, avoid what these hyperbolic contractions hide. So thank you so much for sharing that answer. I, I, you know, I appreciate also how you talk about how, right, there's this canon of Western literature has um, hidden, marginalized, pushed down the voice of, of women and many others. Um, for you, how do you see current literary criticism helping to amplify the voices of women and I know some of your work also talks about, you know, other gender and sexual minorities. So just curious how you see literary criticism helping to amplify the voices of those that have been pushed down by the traditional canon. If, for example, right now in Argentine, a lot of researchers of the Gender Institute of Buenos Aires University are writing history of feminist history of Argentine literature is only a perspective, a feminist perspective of the literature. It's the, the first feminist history of literature in Argentine. So that is a, a way of change the, the point of view about uh, which texts are, are good or which are out of literature, you know, the, the notion of literary equality had this connotation, you know. Uh, some texts are uh, in literature, but another texts are uh, out literature. And in the case of the literature of women, uh, we have a lot of cases in which the, the personal experience is very important. And for a lot of, a lot of time, this perspective or, or this uh, feature of the, of the women literature was considered something that had a, a, a bad result, a result uh, related to a bad level of, of, the, of the literature. So if, if you change the criterion, if you change the, the point of view through you read the poems, the novels, the, the chronics, the, the letters, all the texts of, of the writers, maybe you can, you can elaborate another series, another groups and another associations. I think that the, the feminist and the diversity criticism has this responsibility. Create another uh, form of read because the actual form of read has the problem that in, in a lot of cases use several forms of the androcentric culture. I don't know if it's clear, but I think that uh, the history, the feminist history of Argentine literary literature is a, a very good example of, of the form of contribute to, to change the, the ways of reading. No, for me, that came through very clear. I mean, I think what I appreciated was when you talked about this idea of the criteria, because I think what I'm also hearing, which is something we see in other fields too, is about um, who is determining the criteria 
And it sounds like something in the experience in Argentina is trying to change the narrative, which sounds like it comes from a very predominantly male, um, perhaps heterosexual, um, you know, perspective when it comes to literature and what that does when we're trying to evaluate quality, right? Whose criteria determines the quality of the works we're looking at. So thank you for uh, sharing that. So we only have a few more minutes left, and I'd like to talk a little bit now more about the impact of COVID-19. So I'm curious if you could elaborate a bit on how COVID-19 has impacted feminist movements, and in particular, any role that literature has played in sort of amplifying the experiences of people, especially, of course, women and gender minorities during this particular moment. Yes. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, the murders of women in Argentina increased significantly. One of the reasons is the obligation to be isolated in the domestic space, which for many women means being locked up with their aggressor. This women's movement has redoubled its efforts to make visible the situations of violence that anticipates a femicide. In response, the recently created Ministry of Women, Genders and Diversity has enabled different communication channels to ask for help or denounce the different forms of gender violence against women, despite their isolation. The good news is that the bill on voluntary interruption of pregnancy is probably going to be approved in two weeks. In Argentina, abortion, that is, uh, the abortion that is not the result of rape is punished by law. Therefore, thousands of women and girls perform clandestine abortions, putting their physical and mental health at risk and, on many occasions, losing their lives. Despite COVID-19, the climb of the women's movement has been so strong that Parliament has been forced to to debate a new bill to make abortion legal. And this time, after uh, 30 years of struggle, there are good prospects. Thank you for sharing that. And powerful and important to see that this law is possibly coming to be approved within within very very soon, and to and, and to know that of course this bill would not happen without the feminist movement and everyone that's pushing for this change um, within Argentina. Um, we are coming to a close soon on this podcast episode. I guess the question I just would like to ask you um, is, what would you like the audience to take away from this discussion? Well, I would like the struggles for women's rights and sexual diversity in Argentina and Latin America to be known by everyone, everywhere, especially by young people. I wish that these struggles inspire them to live in freedom and pride their gender and their sexual orientation and to foster for struggles for equality of gender and the expansion of rights. And finally, is there anything else you share just about the power of literature? Anything from your work just to say to people about how literature, how writing, how critique, you know, can contribute to social change? 
Uh, no, congratulations to Fulbright program. I think that uh, initiative is, is very important and that is a contribution to uh, the struggles, to the visibility and to the expansion of, of the rights. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Fulbright Forward. You can find links to the different events, artists, thinkers, writers, and media that Dr. Marade mentioned in the description for this podcast on our Buzzsprout site. A quick update. The law on abortion that Dr. Marade mentioned at the end of the podcast episode passed on December 30th, 2020 in Argentina, making Argentina the largest country in Latin America to allow this procedure. Anyone is able now to get an abortion within 14 weeks of pregnancy, and the government has begun to drop charges against those who were accused of having an abortion before the law's passing. And as this episode shows us, none of this would have been possible without the concerted and organized efforts of the feminist movements in Argentina to support and advance reproductive rights. With that said, we now come to the conclusion of this episode. Thank you again so much for tuning in, and until next time.